0: Our first reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, it's Exodus 12, 21 through 27, and you can find that on page 54 in the Bibles we provide. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. The word of the Lord. And our next selection is Isaiah 53 verses three through seven. And that's on page 613. and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The word of the Lord.
1: Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning with verse 13, and it's found on page 885 in the Bibles that we provide. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of, our women, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread. And he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. As we find ourselves celebrating the Easter season, I don't know about you, I found myself really enjoying Easter morning. I love the getting up, the getting dressed, the beautiful music, the wonderful time we had together. But then I also found myself Monday morning kind of going, so what? I found myself maybe a little disillusioned, maybe a little hopeful, maybe I wished that something else had happened, that I felt better, felt different, but I found myself being kind of blah when I think about Easter. And that's not how I want to be. I think that's how God created us to be. And so when I read this, it really resonated with me. This this is how I felt. These guys and what they were going through is how I felt. This idea that there's something missing. I missed it. There's something else. There's something greater to want and to hope for. And so as we look through that, as we see these people and this hope that they had that didn't quite happen the way they wanted... We find out how Jesus comes to them and in the same way that Jesus comes to us when we feel that same way. And we we'll have four ways that Jesus does that. First, that Jesus does. He comes to us in the same way that he came to them. Second, that Jesus teaches us in the same way that he taught them. Third, that Jesus reveals himself to us as he did to them. And fourth, that Jesus sends us. But to totally understand, I think we need to get the context of what's happening here. So we've got these two people, we know they're of the disciples, but the way they refer to themselves, they talk about the women that were in their company, they talk about the two of them, which we know to be Peter and John, had gone to the tomb and found that it was empty, but we also realize that these aren't part of the twelve, but just spent time with them. We also know what they thought about Jesus, we can find that as we look through this a little deeper, they thought he was the Messiah, the chosen one. So imagine for them, these people who had grown up their whole life, taught to pray for the Messiah, long for the Messiah, and look for the Messiah. And they get to this point in life. They go to celebrate the Passover with the one. They cry out, Hosanna, as he enters into Jerusalem. And then everything goes wrong. This one whom they loved, this one whom they hoped for, This one who was their leader, who they'd given their lives to, all of a sudden they find him being arrested by the very religious leaders who should have embraced him. He goes from victorious to victim. And then they find him dead on the cross and their world is blown apart. Their hopes have been dashed and shattered. Some of you might walk in here this morning and that's exactly where your heart is. That maybe you had hoped for something more or for something different and you just don't know where to go. You you just don't know what to do, how to handle it. So what I want to tell you is that God has something to say to you in this story today. He wants to speak deeply into your heart. And the first thing that I think is so interesting is that Jesus comes to them. These are not the people you would expect. These are not the 12. These are not, again, one's nameless. One is Cleopas. We don't really have any history on them at all. And yet Jesus goes to them. And also that he goes to these people who are walking away from Jerusalem. It says it's on this very day. So it's on the day of Jesus' resurrection, we expect there's all this energy, there's all this excitement, what's happening, what's going on, and we find these two people walking away, leaving. Now, we don't know for sure where they're going, we think they're going home because they stop at a house when they get there, but they're walking away from this amazing message that's been proclaimed, that he's not here, he is risen. And you see their doubts that kind of come along with that, and that. As the kind of people that Jesus went to. The people who hadn't got it all figured out, who weren't showing this tremendous faith, but people who are walking away. And what we find is what's going on is they're talking amongst themselves. The word here in the Greek is that they're kind of having an argument. It's this heated, passionate conversation these two disciples are having because they're trying to figure out what happened. What did we miss? What did we get wrong that this one whom we had hoped for who would deliver us is now dead? And the verb that they use when kind of Jesus went alongside them is that they didn't even realize that Jesus was with them for a little while. They were in the middle of the conversation and Jesus is walking alongside. And then when they did notice him, they didn't recognize him. Now, there's a lot of conjecture as to why they didn't recognize Jesus. But what most likely is the process is that they weren't expecting him. It was a lack of faith on their part. As John talked about last week, dead men don't get up. So they weren't expecting to see Jesus joining them on the road, so they couldn't see him. I read that, I study that, and it really cuts me to the core because how often do I miss Jesus because I'm not expecting him? How often do I miss Jesus and I don't even recognize him because I'm so busy going about my day, doing my own thing. That Jesus was right beside them. They didn't notice him, and then they didn't recognize him. And these are the people that Jesus is going to that gives me such hope. And Jesus, as he often does when he comes to us, he draws out their hearts with a question. You go back through scripture, you see that this is how God often went to people. Adam and Eve in the garden who've just sinned, what does he say? Where are you? He knew where they were. He wants to draw them out. Cain and Abel, when Cain's killed Abel, he goes to Cain and goes, where's your brother Abel? You see time and time again, do you want to be made well, Jesus says to the beggar at the the pool. He says to the woman caught in adultery, is there no one left to condemn you? goes to the Samaritan woman at the well and says, where is your husband? Always trying to get to the heart of the matter to go deeply into what they're feeling and what's going on. What I love is what happens when Jesus asks that question. The Bible tells us something. It says they were stopped in their tracks and they were sad. That they were overcome by this question in the emotion of what's going on. Their hopes, again, have been dashed by all this. And Jesus sweetly, lovingly, tenderly comes alongside and draws them out with a question. And he doesn't ask this question to see if they're worthy of his presence, which is somehow how I see things so often. But he just wants them to express their heart to him. And so then Cleopas gets very confused. How do you not know what's going on? And he begins to explain everything they had thought. My, one of my favorite parts of this picture is Jesus listening to Cleopas tell Jesus about Jesus. Like he's telling him what happened. He's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. That's, Jesus knows. But Jesus is drawing him in, listening to the conversation. And he's gleaning things from it. Like Cleopas says, he was a prophet. They believed he was the Messiah, but now they're like, well, he was a prophet. We got that much right, we think. There was this lack of understanding and faith. He was a prophet mighty in word and deed before God and before man. But he was killed, which doesn't make any sense. And then you get to the heart of the matter. He says, but we had hoped. But we had hoped for something more. We had hoped for something different. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And you've got to understand the picture. When he says that word redeem, there's a very clear picture. To redeem meant to buy back from slavery. So in their mind, the Messiah came to free them from Roman oppression. Just like he had freed the Israelites from Egypt. That was the picture they had, this picture of Moses freeing the people. They said, well, when the Messiah comes, that's what's going to happen. But the problem was they saw the wrong enemy. To them, Rome was the enemy. When the truth was, the enemy was their own sin, and the enemy was death. They were so short-sighted. They wanted this temporary victory over a worldly power, thinking that's going to make everything okay. And if I'm honest, that's how I live. Jesus, if you'll just get this person out of my life that I can't deal with, if you'll just take care of this situation, if you'll just help me with this, if you just take care of this one thing, then I'm gonna be okay. When Jesus goes so much deeper than that, he goes, your biggest problem is not that person or not that situation, Andrew. Your biggest problem is you. It's your sin. It's your pride. It's your need to control. It's all these things. That's your problem. And I am going to get to the heart of that because you're asking something way too small. I have something so much bigger than that in store for you. They wanted just the benefit, just for Israel, just for a short time. And when that didn't happen, their hopes were dashed. How often... Do we hope for such small things from the Lord? And then find ourselves disappointed and sad and frustrated when he won't answer a small thing, when he has something so much better in mind for us. They had hoped. So that's Jesus coming to them. The second part is Jesus then teaches them. He's now heard their heart. He's heard what's going on as he's gone to them. And it says that he stops them with the rebuke to begin with. It says, O foolish ones, and slow to believe all that the prophets had written. And it sounds harsh, like, ooh, that's, that's not at all. The verb that we, or the now that we've got there, this idea of what foolish ones is, it's clueless. It's like, you know better. Like, you get this. You should understand this by now. And the reason he says that is because what they said about the resurrection said he died and then all of a sudden we've got this report these women come back and say wow there's the angel said this and the tomb was empty we couldn't find Jesus anywhere and so then we sent like two others of us and they said the same thing he's saying you don't understand you don't believe you're slow of heart because all the evidence was there there were witnesses there were angels. There were an empty tomb. Everything they needed to have faith and believe was there, and yet they would not believe. How often is it all just staring us in the face and we're fighting and fighting to believe the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? So he says, you are slow to believe, you foolish ones. And then what I love is Jesus then opens up the scripture. The word really is translates. Translates. He says, I'm going to take this book that you don't understand like it's a foreign language and I'm going to translate it to you so you can understand how it's really all about me. And I love that he starts in their context. Where does it say? It says he starts with Moses and he starts with the prophets. How does that connect? What did they say? They assumed that he was going to come redeem, redeem Exodus, Moses, and they called Jesus a prophet, the prophets. Started exactly where their mind was, exactly in what they were thinking to then expound and to translate all of the Bible to them. How beautiful that was. And then it says he goes to all the scriptures. And people have longed to have been in that moment to hear that sermon. And I think there's a good reason why we don't have it. Because if you're anything like me, if I hear that and what Jesus, because it's a seven mile trip, He can't do all, I mean, it's Jesus, he could, but he probably didn't go through every verse of scripture as he explained it. So for me, I'm going to take what he explained and I'm going to discount everything else. Like, well, that's not important because Jesus didn't mention it there. When the truth is, it all points to him. And he says, was it not necessary that the Son of Man suffer? Was it not necessary that an animal had to die to cover the shame of Adam and Eve in the garden? Was it not necessary that the lamb had to be slain, this perfect lamb and the blood on the doorposts to keep from God's wrath? Was it not clear in all these pictures? I could spend hours, I won't do that because the kids are in here, but hours going through the Old Testament and showing you place after place that points to our Lord Jesus Christ. He opened up all the scriptures. And the reason we need to know all the scriptures, is because they believed part of what the Messiah was supposed to be. They believed in the conquering Messiah. They believed the Messiah that would get a crown, not the one that would get a cross. They believed the Messiah would keep them from suffering, not save them through his suffering. They only understood part of the story. So I give to you that there's no better endorsement for us knowing the Old Testament than Jesus himself right here. Because what Jesus could have done is just use his own words. Well, did not Jesus say that he had to die? Did Jesus not say he would rise again? Did Jesus not say he was the Lamb of God? But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He points them to the Old Testament. He points them to the scriptures that when he's gone and returned to the Father, they have this basis to continue to encourage each other. And remember, this was God's plan from day one in the garden. So he comes to us. He teaches us. The third thing is he reveals himself to us. So after this beautiful sermon and teaching happens, Jesus is going to continue going past the town where they stopped. And they invite him in. It says that they like basically begged him to come in and to abide with them. Think John 15. Think the vine and the branches. Abide this close depth of relationship together. And the truth is, most people really do believe Jesus would have kept on going if they wouldn't have invited him in. That Jesus doesn't want to force himself on us but longs to be invited in. You think of Revelation 3. I stand at the door and knock Whoever opens the door, I will come in and be with them. They could have gotten amazing truth, but missed seeing the risen Lord. But they invited him to come be with them. And they sit at a table, and Jesus does something amazing. It says he took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. It is so obvious it should bring two pictures to our minds almost immediately. One, the feeding of the 5,000. Again, Jesus takes these loaves and fish, says he blessed them, he broke them, he gave them to the disciples for them all to eat and be satisfied. But it should also give us a picture of the Lord's Supper. Of this moment at the table that we're about to partake in. Jesus with his disciples in the upper room right before he was gonna die, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. That there is a beauty in the picture because it says as soon as he did that, their eyes were open. That the sacrament for us is a picture to go to all of our senses, to wake us up, to open the eyes of our hearts to see who Jesus really is. Because there are times I'll only speak for myself. I won't put you in this. There's times I'll come on a Sunday morning and I'm kind of going through the motions of worship. I'm saying the words, but they haven't penetrated. There may be times that some of you right now are going, all I hear Andrew saying is, ma, 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 That happens for all of us. But we have this beautiful picture. That if we didn't get it in the worship, if we didn't get it in the preaching of the word, there is a place where Jesus is present and we get to experience him. We get to taste him, touch him, as it were. And I love that the sacrament is for all of our senses. When Alan does it, you'll hear him when he breaks the bread. You can hear it. When they would take it, they would eat it, they would touch it. When they had the wine, before they drank it, they would smell it. There's this idea that it permeates all of their senses that Jesus is revealing himself to us through the table. He reminds us that he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. It was in that picture that he reveals himself. But not only does he reveal himself, he shows his redemption. There should be one other meal you think about when you hear that. It's the first meal. Adam and Eve in the garden, they see the fruit. They see that it's pleasing to the eye. They say that it's good for food and they take what does not belong to them. They eat it and what happens? Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened to sin and shame for the first time. So in this moment, Instead of taking what wasn't theirs, Jesus gave to them bread. They took it and ate it, and their eyes were opened. That no longer does sin and shame rule. No longer does sin rule. No longer does death rule, because he is risen. Their eyes were open to the redemption that Jesus provides for us. That he has taken that meal and said, that's enough, it is finished. I have come. To give you hope and grace and love. Well, the last thing is that Jesus sends us, and you're looking at this going. Andrew doesn't say that. Doesn't I've I've looked at it. I've read it twice since you've been here. This idea of what happens with these guys, Jesus doesn't have to send them. He says it plenty of times in all of scriptures where he sends them. But as they get together, Jesus is revealed. He disappears. They look at each other, and it's like, did your heart not burn? during all of this when all this was going on were you not amazed as he taught us the truth of his word and they would have a moment and no one would probably begrudge them if they sat there and just reveled wow that was awesome that was like the coolest thing i've ever experienced i'm ready for bed wow that was good and just stay right there i've done that plenty of times where god has shown up in an amazing way and i'm just like i just want to hold this in It's like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah show up and he says, let's build some like structures. Let's just stay here as long as we can. This is as good as it gets. That's our tendency. But the truth is when God has revealed himself the way that Jesus revealed himself to them, when they realize that sin and death are conquered forever, we can't help but go tell other people. We can't help but share something that amazing. But the problem is, at what point does it just become second nature? Does it just become not amazing? Does it just become, yeah, that's just something we do every year? At what point do we lose sight of the truth of what Jesus did for us and the power with what Jesus did? I confess it's so easy for me just to get into the routine of it that I forget how amazing it is. And that we live in a world that longs to hear that, who longs to have hope over their sin, who longs to have hope beyond this world, who longs to know that death does not have the final say. And we are the people who have been given that message to share. What's amazing about these disciples, it says that very hour they got up and went back. And as they said to Jesus, the day had been spent. This was late in the day, close to nighttime, and it was dangerous to travel at night, and they didn't care. They went, walked the seven miles back to go and find the disciples and tell them, he is risen. We have seen him. We have this hope now. We get it now. We understand now. And the only way they could get to that place was because Jesus showed up to them. Because Jesus taught them. Because Jesus revealed himself to them. And in answer to all of that, they willingly went to share what they knew. I don't know your heart this morning. I don't know what brought you here. I don't know if you're feeling that hopelessness that comes from something that just didn't work out. I don't know if that's where you are today, but it'll be where you are someday. I don't know if you find yourself questioning how awesome and amazing this gift is on our behalf. I don't know if you find yourself convicted that I haven't gone and shared with my neighbors and other people the truth that I has as a bedrock for my life. But I do know that Jesus comes to the most unexpected people to show them his love, to show them his grace, to show them his truth, that they may go proclaim the excellencies of him who has died for us. That is our privilege, that is our honor, that is our call as his people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you that you are such a good God to us and you take such good care of us that you come after us, that you pursue us, you pursue us to be with us, but also to get deep to our hearts by asking us where we are. Lord, what is it that burdens our heart today? What is it that is keeping us from recognizing who you are, from realizing that you're right there beside us? What fear, what doubt, what concern, what worry? Father, let us know that we can trust you with it. Let us know that you love us deeply. Let us know that you will give us the truth of your word that we may understand it. Thank you that you reveal yourself through other people through creation, but also through your word and through this sacrament. That as we celebrate it, we will leave this place truly as people who want to share the good news of what you've done in us and what you've done for us, for your kingdom and for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.